0: Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, This kind can only come out by prayer. You may be seated. Demons are real. I realize that may sound like a really surprising way to start a sermon, but I I do want to start there. There is such a thing as spiritual warfare, and there is an evil one who wishes you harm because he knows how much hurting you will hurt the God that he hates. Spiritual warfare is real. Now, this is not a subject that we talk about all the time, and that is for a couple of reasons. One of those reasons is is that a preoccupation with spiritual warfare is thoroughly unhealthy. Another one of those reasons is that while it's important to understand and know about, our response to spiritual warfare is exactly the same as it should be if there were none. In other words, to run to, cling to, and submit to the Lord. But it is real. The evil one and his demons wish you harm. One of the verses that puts this clearest for me is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, one of the things that happens to us most easily is we come to think that our enemies are people. We come to think of other people as our greatest struggle or our biggest difficulty or the ones that we need to overcome. But that's not true. There are two opponents that we have to overcome. The evil one and our own sinful hearts. And that that contest that happens is what we call spiritual warfare. Now, maybe you're like me, and you're just not wired to accept something like that easily. I understand we're talking about spirits and demons and the evil one, and that can be hard sometimes. I'd like to share with you a story, a fitting one, given our guest speaker today, I want to tell you about a friend named Joshua. I met Joshua when I was in Ghana, the summer of rows 06 and 07. I know that picture looks like it could have been taken last week. <laughs> there is no major difference between then and now. Oh my word. You all hired him like three months later as an intern, just so you know, that young man right there. Wow. That's my friend Joshua. Joshua is an incredible man. We connected with Joshua because we were going to be going around doing medical clinics in these villages. And we wanted to have the opportunity, one, to understand them when they told us things, but two, share the gospel with them. And as Rich shared, there are so many languages in Ghana. And while many people do speak English, not all of them do. And then after Ghana, we were also going to be going through Burkina Faso and into Niger, into French-speaking, not English-speaking countries. Joshua was an incredible man. When we got to know him, we found out that he was the valedictorian of Ghana Christian College. And I remember asking him one day, what made you the valedictorian? I was teasing him a little bit because he would never allow, like, just a fully positive thing to be said about himself. And so I, I just kept trying to get them in. And I said, are you just smarter than everybody else? And he said, no, no, while they would only study for 12 hours a day, I would study for at least 14. And I remember thinking, well, obviously that's an exaggeration, but when I found out that he had the Bible memorized, memorized in English and French and two or three other languages, I left my doubts behind. It was true. He studied that hard. That man was always, always in scripture or in prayer. And then one day, while we were, we were getting ready to set up a, a medical clinic, we kind of noticed that Joshua didn't look well. He didn't look like he felt well, and I asked him about it, and he said that he'd been fasting for two days from food and sleep. I had never heard of such a thing, and I, I asked him why. And he said, I sense a spiritual attack coming on the team. And I, in my infinite 24-year-old, about to be hired by a church as a pastoral intern wisdom, thought, oh boy, superstition, we need, to, we need to let this guy get some sleep, he needs to not worry about this. And then the next morning, the first one of us got sick. And over the course of about three and a half weeks, over half of our team either got malaria, one of our team almost died from it, or some kind of intestinal parasite, which, please hear me, that is a big deal. And it just it swept through us all at once. And it was a little while before I remembered, after the, the first member of our team had malaria, and then the second, and then one of us woke up with a parasite. I thought, that was the day before the first one of us got sick. He knew. And then when it was my turn, when I woke up at 2 in the morning in such awful stomach pain that I just could not even move, except when I had to, to get to the bathroom over and over and over again. And I, I, I knew what I had to do was wait for my team to realize I wasn't showing up to things five hours later before anyone would know what was, what was going on. And that was maybe the longest morning of my life. And then my team did come in. They found me sick. And they laid me down on the bed. I was given some medicine. I was told I was going to be down for days. And then I remember this moment happened where Joshua... And Raphael and Enoch, three of the Africans that were with our group, came in and they laid hands on me, and they each prayed in their own language. Now, people disagree on exactly what happens when people speak in tongues. Some people think it's a a heavenly language. Some people think it's just a language you don't know. I think God can use either one. And they prayed over me, and I remember thinking, as these three men were saying words over me, I didn't know, shouting out, Lord, I believe you can heal me. The next day, I didn't feel good, but I was fit enough to go and be one of the evangelists with our medical clinic. It was a long day, but God gave me the strength that I needed to get through it. And the same happened the day after that and the day after that. A bunch of our group got sick, but they didn't stay sick long. God was present in a powerful way. And I feel very much like it was a moment where my eyes were open and I realized there is such a thing as spiritual warfare. Now, I realize I did not just tell you a story about demonic possession, right? But I believe fervently that that was a story about spiritual warfare, and I think spiritual attacks are like that. They're complicated. Oftentimes, they don't look like spiritual attacks at all. But hear me, this is important. Spiritual warfare is real. And like the young man in the story, we're not the soldiers, we're the battleground. We're the ones trying to be fought for. The evil one wants us. The Lord wants us more. And we are the battleground of a spiritual battle. Now there's a lot in this passage, but as I go through it, there's three things I really want to zone in on that I feel like are really clear that we can take today on this subject of spiritual warfare. So to summarize this story, Jesus has come down from the mountain, from his transfiguration no less, when, he's, when the glory that is his has been made manifest. It's visible. And I just wonder sometimes, as he's coming down that mountain, and, and the, the, the apostles he took up with him are just in awe, if he wondered, maybe I'm not even going to need to go to the cross. I wonder if that thought ever crossed his mind. Maybe if, maybe if everyone just responds, it'll be different. He knew he would have to go, but we know that he wrestled with that, right? If he had a thought like that, it was shattered as soon as he came down. And he saw his disciples, who knew better, trying to cast out a demon by their own power. He sees his disciples talking to this father. This father has been forced to behold his son, mute from his demonic captors, being marched continually toward his death. But what they didn't know is that he was destined to be rescued from oppression and death by the power of God. His father, forced to behold his son, mute from his demonic captors, marched continually toward his death, but destined to be rescued from oppression and death by the power of God. The first thing I think we can draw from this story is this, that the enemy attacks us through the fear of doubt. The enemy attacks us through the fear of doubt. Now this is very important. I want you to hear this. I did not say that the enemy attacks us through doubt, although that can happen too. But I thoroughly believe that what is worse and more common is the attacks we receive through the fear of doubt. When the boy is brought before Jesus, it Im- the spirit immediately throws him into convulsions. And wanting to know what's going on, Jesus asks the father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he said, it often tries to kill him, but please, if you can help us, help us. Jesus says, what did you mean if? Everything's possible if you, and the words here are, have faith in me. The boy's father, I imagine, caught up in the midst of a hopeful excitement and a realization at the same time of his own inadequacy, says, I do have faith, help me overcome my lack of it. If you are someone who has struggled with your faith, I imagine that resonates. I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. In other words, Lord, I have faith, but I have doubts, and I need your help to get through them. You see, doubt is tricky for people of faith. We can be tempted to think that it's only a bad thing, that it's sent straight from the devil to pluck our children from the arms of Jesus just as soon as they go off to college. That's the temptation, and that's the fear. Can look like other things too. It can look like I can't let anyone know I'm asking questions because I'll be rejected by everyone in my church. I very nearly had everyone close their eyes and raise their hands if they'd ever felt like I can't share my doubt with anyone because I bet I bet there'd be a lot of hands up if we were all willing to be honest. I didn't do it because some of you would be afraid of that person doing one of these numbers. This weekend, someone who should know better told me that he had never heard one of his Christian teachers say that doubt was okay. So I wanna be crystal clear about this right here and now. If you have doubts, that's okay. Doubts don't have to be bad things. Here's what doubt is. Doubt is, I've stepped inside of this Christian faith. I believe in Jesus. I want to accept Him, but there's things I don't get, or there's things that I don't understand, or I wonder if the way that I've been taught this is correct, or can it really be that God loves me because I know how bad I am. Doubt can show up in any of these and so many more ways. I was raised in a traditional Christian home but I've gone away and I've gotten different ideas and I'm just not sure what to believe. Doubt can look like that. Doubt can look like I've been coming to the same church my entire life but when I watch the news when I read when I talk with people from other faiths I just have these questions. None of that is bad. Doubt becomes harmful When it goes in one of two directions, the first harmful way doubt can go, first way the evil one wants it to go, is with fear, buried. I can't tell anyone about this. Because you see, when you hold on to a doubt and you bury it, it never goes away. We can try to to convince ourselves out of it, but there is something about sharing that doubt with another person and receiving love and a lack of rejection afterwards that makes us feel safe to travel through that doubt and find the answer. But if if we feel like we have to hold it to ourselves, then eventually another one shows up, and another one, and another one, and eventually I'm holding on to so many doubts that I've never been able to get resolved that I just can't imagine considering myself a Christian anymore. When we're afraid to share it, that's when doubt becomes bad. The other time doubt becomes bad is this. When I feel like the first time I encounter doubt, that means I don't believe the thing. And that happens a lot of times. A lot of times people think that faith means certainty, and it doesn't. It can. One of the most incredible things for me to learn is how differently my wife and I are wired. She got a warning about two minutes before I started preaching that I was mentioning her today. One of the incredible things was to realize that my wife's approach to faith and mine are very different. In a lot of ways. Some people don't experience long periods or intense periods of doubt. They've been taught in the faith. They've accepted what they've been taught because as they've encountered Jesus. They've been able to grab hold of him, feel his loving acceptance, and never wondered whether it was true. And that is a blessing. That is not my story. My story is very different. Coming from outside of the faith, asking a thousand questions over and over and over again. Feeling like I needed to figure every piece out. Going to Bible college and seminary. In large part, trying to understand my faith because I had so many questions. And not just questions, but doubts. You see... Doubt becomes bad when we encounter it and we think that means I don't belong there because no one else talks about their doubt, so I'm the only one with them. And if I'm the only one with doubt, that means I'm not one of them. And the evil one wants that. He wants you to feel alone and isolated and unable to speak with anyone because here's the thing. If you did you'd probably learn a few things. The first thing you'd probably learn is that you are not the first person to have that doubt. In fact, the church is 2,000 years old. There have been billions upon billions of believers. I'm sorry, you are not incredibly intelligent enough to be the first one to come up with a question. You're just not. It's happened before. The odds are people that you know and love and assume would never struggle with doubt have wrestled with it already. And if you will just open up, you'll be shocked to find that it's okay. What you don't want to do is you encounter doubt and step away. And you don't want to encounter doubt and bury it. You want to let it see the light of day. There's a couple of pieces to this. People with particular responsibility. One of those kinds of people is parents. Parents, it is part of your job as Christian parents to facilitate an environment where your child feels like they can express doubt and you do not express rage or panic. I am not a parent, and so I cannot imagine how terrifying it must be to believe and have a child all of a sudden express doubt in their faith of the creator and redeemer of their souls. That must be terrifying. Somehow, I have no advice for how to do this, but somehow you've got to figure out a way to create an environment where it is safe for them to say, I'm just not sure about that. You have a particular responsibility there. Two, there's a particular responsibility for the doubter. You see, what you don't understand oftentimes is that the position you're in, you're in because there's someone who hates you that wants you there and will lie to you over and over and over again. I won't be welcome. I won't be loved. They'll kick me out of the family. They won't let me sing on the worship team at church. They won't let me be there. Everyone will know I'm a fraud. Your responsibility is to trust the Christian community that you're part of. Go to a parent. If you can't, go to a pastor. If you don't feel comfortable, go to a mature Christian that you know in this church. We are strong in our sense of community. Don't let doubt stay secret. Don't let doubt get buried. The evil one wants to attack you through doubt. The second thing I think we can learn here is this. First, we said the enemy wants to attack us through the fear of doubt, and the second is this. The evil one wants to attack us at our weak points. In verses 25 to 27, we see the result of the demon's power on the boy. The demon hurts him. Now, we don't know exactly the extent of what the spirit does here, but he sends him into a violent convulsion. Then when Jesus lifts the boy up, Mark chooses an interesting word here. He uses the word for resurrection when it says Jesus gives him a hand and lifts him up. And I think Mark wants us to to feel like this demon has done extreme harm and Jesus is healing as he's lifting, he's raising him. See, the, the, the sins that we struggle with, that we harbor, largely that we keep secret, those are points of opportunity for the evil one and his demons to hurt us. Sin is an interesting thing because we all have sin. It's a condition like an illness or an infection that's present in every single human being except one. You are sick with sin. Now once we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we receive life where once there was death, but there's this Infection that has already spread, and this illness has symptoms. When you have a cold, you have symptoms. You sneeze and you cough and you have a fever. The things that we do, the lies that we tell, the gossip that we, we share, the anger that we let go of, the lust that we indulge, those are symptoms of the illness of sin. And one of the problems we have as a Christian culture is that we tend to judge people based on whether or not they have the same symptoms we do. Which is weird. Could you imagine a world in which everyone with the cold judged everyone with the flu for being sick differently? And we know what the really bad symptoms are. We know what they are because they're the ones we don't struggle with. Right? It is easy to resist other people's temptations. It is easy to overcome other people's struggles. But most of us, if we had the opportunity to really bear our souls so that the people around us knew what was going on deep inside that we personally struggled with, we would not do it. Because we'd be afraid. You see, Evil one wants to take those weak spots and hit you with them again and again and again. He wants to drum up temptation and he wants to isolate you so that nobody knows what you're dealing with, nobody knows what you're struggling with. That way no wisdom gets spoken into it, that way no accountability becomes present. This is what spiritual warfare looks like. You're the battleground. The evil one wants to take you. The way we allow the Lord to work is by confessing. We confess to the Lord, absolutely. That's step one. We ask for forgiveness from him. And then we find the courage and the person that we can share. This is happening in secret, and I need someone to know. Because something unlocks in that moment. That doesn't mean the struggle will go away. That doesn't mean the temptation will become immediately overcome. What it does mean is that the power of the Spirit through the body of Christ is able to have a go at that temptation from the other side. It's a way that the Lord fights for you. The struggle with our weak spots, the struggle with our sins, again, like with doubts, is our desire to keep them quiet. Hear me. If you're struggling with secret sin, if there's something going on in your life and it's been going on for a while, and it's that thing you could just never bear to tell another soul, find an appropriate person, a believer who's mature, And share it. And believers, if you are the recipient of that, you make sure that that person knows how loved they are. That's so important. The first way that, the first part of this story we can see is that the enemy attacks us through the fear of doubt. The second is he attacks us at our weak points, our temptations and sins. The third is this we are helpless without Jesus. The enemy attacks us, hoping we will try to fight him alone. Now the story that we read today is interesting in so many ways. One of those ways is that the disciples have been able to cast out demons in the past. This time they can't. And I can't prove this, but I suspect that the reason they can't cast out the demon is because they're trying to do it on their own power. Can you imagine how frustrated Jesus must have been coming down from the transfiguration? So much so, he says, how long do I have to be with you? I I just can't. How long do I have to deal with this? Knowing the answer to his own question as he began the road to Jerusalem, the story that would end in his death, Jesus asked, how long must I deal with this? They were trying to cast out a demon on their own power. Now whether that's exactly correct or not, whether I've missed something there or not, we definitely see the theme here. We cannot do anything apart from the Lord. We see that theme twice. The first time is when Jesus tells the Father that everything is possible for one who believes. Everything's possible for one who has faith in the Lord. Everything is possible for the one whose allegiance is to Jesus, who's been forgiven and redeemed and saved and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean everything is easy. That doesn't mean that everything will happen in the schedule we would like it to. That doesn't mean that all of our struggles will magically go away if we just pray a little harder. That's not not what that means. What it means is when the Lord fights for you, The battle can be won. In fact, the battle will be won. The second place we see that theme here in this story is when Jesus tells his disciples that the demon can only be driven out by prayer. I just imagine him shaking his head because it's not as though there are other demons they can drive out on their own. Right? Hear me, you are a believer. You can drive out no demons without praying to the Lord for help. He tells them they have to pray. You see, when we're in the midst of the battle, and the temptation, the struggle, the sin is is there, and we're in the midst of the fight, we can do nothing without the Lord. To overcome sin, to do battle the way that the Lord did, we must rely not on human power, but on the Lord's Power. We must rely on Jesus. We must rely on our Lord. And so hear me, if you are in what we call spiritual warfare, you need to be praying. Do you have a rich prayer life? Maybe you're in a place where your faith feels stale. When, when you're coming to church because you know you're supposed to, but you're just not sure why anymore, and the smallest things are starting to bother you. You know you're in trouble when the smallest things are starting to bother you. That song was off key. I couldn't even worship Jesus this morning. That person stepped on my foot and didn't even apologize. These people are so rude. I can't think about anything else. When the small things start to bother you, when, when you feel like you've gone to worship the Lord and you're just... Have you ever been here? I just didn't get anything out of it today. Because we get wrapped up in ourselves and we think it's about us. When you're in that moment, you've got to ask the Lord for help and pray. Holy habits. Being part of a community. Going to the Lord in prayer. Diving into the Word. And you will be amazed at the power that's present and unleashed in those moments the Lord is in the battle whereas before you were keeping him out if you don't have a life filled with holy habits, I want to encourage you we're in Lent, this is the time start today we're two weeks in, it's okay start today fasting is not for the purpose of dieting, fasting is to remind you over and over again to pray to resist temptation. Begin a fast. Not of all food. Don't jump there. Give up something that's hard to give up and just watch what happens and see how the spiritual battle begins. Develop a regular habit of reading and start small. If you start too big, it will not last. Our Bible reading plan is a great way to dive into that. And one more. Find a person you can share with. Find a person that you can tell this is what's happening. This is the secret struggle that I'm having. This is the doubt that I'm standing in the midst of. Because when you can bring those things to light, there's a power that's just weakened. This story is an incredible one. I think it's here on purpose after the Transfiguration. Because it reminds us that our ability to resist the evil one does not come from ourselves. It comes from another father who willingly beheld his son as he was mute before his captors, being marched toward his death with no one to rescue him, and yet still destined to rise from death by the power of God. If you're in the middle of doubt, go to Jesus and let his body speak into it. If you're struggling with sin, go to Jesus. Let the power of his spirit help you overcome. But always remember, you're a battlefield. The only way for the Lord to win is if we're willing to accept him and rely, give our faith and allegiance to him. Pray with me. Father God, we come before you. Lord, and we do say thank you. We thank you for blessings. We thank you for the opportunities we have to hear from your word. Be encouraged and changed. Lord, we ask here today If there are those that have been holding on to something, a question or struggle, perhaps for years, perhaps decades, and have never been able to share it, help them to find the person they can share it with today. Help them to find the joy and the freedom that can come from confession. And to receive the ministry of the body of Christ Lord, help all of us in the midst of this daily battle that we find ourselves in the middle of. Rely on you more today than yesterday. We pray these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.